Um, I'm Simona Rabaudengo, and I'm, uh, I guess, co-founder of Oyo Studio. Um, and I'm a designer. I don't know, like... Uh, I, Say that with hesitation. But yeah, because it's always like, I, I, I always have this thing, it's like, okay, but what do you design? And I'm like, it's complicated. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm a designer of future or design fiction or speculative. You know, I, I'm, at the end, I'm a designer. I design things that sometimes are real, sometimes are fictional, but kind of the process is the same. Hey, it's me again. I've got uh, another podcast episode with a practicing futures-oriented designer. The guy who just introduced himself, Simone Rebedengo. I'll throw in a bunch of links to the work he's done. Really remarkable, forward-thinking, fun, creative guy. And I was super fortunate to get on a project with him, which had us both in London last week for a couple of days. It's a whole other story. So one afternoon we sat outside the hotel and the weather was nice and we were just sitting off a prond of some description and we just started talking and I got to tape it for you to listen in. But before you do, please consider rating, writing review, consider supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash near future laboratory. Look, if you do, you also get an invitation to join me and Simone and about 700 other people in the near future laboratory discord. That's where we've got all kinds of fun projects going on. And if you or your team are really digging into what design fishing can bring to your foresight design research and strategy efforts, well, you'll be there to find out and you can just hit me up, have a conversation. We'll talk about the work you're doing. I'm one of the only Julian Bleakers on the internet, so you shouldn't have a hard time finding me. It's just Julian at nearfuturelaboratory.com. Okay, let's get back to that Simone character. Vices in one for this. Say or no if you bothers. You sure? All right. How'd that IKEA thing come about? Well, they they kind of found us on it's really old school in a way. They're like some page, third or fourth page on. YouTube, uh, sorry, on Google. <laughs> when they were, what, you, what were they Google? Well, they were, I think they were looking for a future design studio of sorts. And, um, and then they found us on like third or fourth page. And so then we got an email like, hey guys, uh, we saw your website. And really? So it wasn't like you already had uh, some kind of relationship? No, with the... yeah, yeah. And uh, that was kind of fresh in a way because. It's like, uh, then you're like, oh, fine. Wow, the website are actually useful still in some it's way. Working. It's working. So so then they just wrote us if we were 
interested in doing that. They have this uh, platform called Everyday Experiments, mm -hmm. which is like uh, IKEA-backed uh, visions of the future. This uh, is so. This is Space Ten. Yeah, it's Space Ten, um, and this is a project that is in collaboration with IKEA, where they ask different studios from around the world to visualize a part of uh, future living. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they asked us. You know, are you interested in doing something around, you know, AI, sustainability, uh, very, very vague. And so we pitched a bunch of uh, ideas and one of them was this idea of um, furniture that can evolve uh, to stay relevant, to survive in a home. A little bit like, you know, animals would do in nature. Yeah. So how did that, how did you come to that? Well, I mean, it was a bit around like kind of playing with the topic of okay we're going to talk about sustainability and we're not necessarily uh you know sustainability experts in terms of you know materiality or engineering or you know system design and so we're like okay what is a sustainable um you know object i mean objects are not sustainable by default because they are you know uh, they're produced and I, actually that was like my my first teacher in, in university the first day my the professor of uh, Polytechnico in Torino so uh, my bachelor in product design was kind of very focused on sustainability uh, circular system and this was back in 2006 so it was uh, uh, you know a bit weird in a way and and the, th the first thing he told me it told us was uh, you know the most sustainable product you ever produce is the one that will never be made uh, so this actually the first the most sustainable product you will ever design is the one that will never be produced. Actually, that was the quote. And uh, so from then I was, okay, this is interesting, so I'm, I shouldn't make anything. Um, and that was because the implication was you want, you mean sustainability like from From material, yeah, exactly. So as soon as you make it, you're basically anyway adding. So it's really hard to then offset whatever you're adding in the world. And, and so then, yeah, we were just thinking, okay, like, you know, artifacts, whatever, you know, artifact you have in the home, if it would want to be sustainable in a way, maybe it wants to live longer. And so how does an object live longer? Uh, you know, I can, and I did back in the days that project about the toaster selling itself in order to live, to survive and, you know, kind of share itself in order to live in a place that is better used. But, and then in this project, I was just saying, okay, so, if it wants to survive, then it needs to evolve over time. And in order to evolve, you know, what is an evolving chair? Why should a chair evolve anyway? Um, and so that's kind of how we started the, the idea and kind of connecting this idea of agency, um, let's say genetic algorithms or evolutionary uh, computing and actually, you know, furniture. And how did they respond to that? I mean, they were very excited at the, the idea in general, uh, I, but it was really hard to, uh, because I mean, the project is called Updatables. So it's kind of a family of artifacts. It's like a new species in the home that has the ability to evolve and they're like, okay, it sounds cool, but what is it? And so then we had to start figuring out like, okay, can we actually make something that can evolve? And so we did some experiments with these different um, algorithms are called genetic algorithms to try to see can I can we make a 3D version of a chair that can evolve 
over time. And so what does it mean to evolve? You can add parts, uh, you can change parts, you can change in shape. And then, you know, what is your, what do you do as a human in this process is basically act a bit as a evolutionary, basically you give the fitness function to say, okay, I like this. So that should be, you know, it, it should be how we should evolve. And so by selecting things over time, you can kind of evolve these chairs. Uh, so we did a, a little experiment around that working in code and they were really excited. And then we jumped in to say, okay, what if actually you have an Ikea lamp or a, I don't know, a, a bookshelf, you know, what would a bookshelf want to become? Uh, you know, can it change because I don't know, kids come in the house. And so from a, from a bookshelf, it becomes a place, play area or a, a table or, so it was a bit of a mixing, some real exploration with code and, and also a little bit of, you know, let's say fictional layer around how much agency will an object have to actually prompt you to, to want to change over time. Uh, so that's kind of what we are trying to do and now um, then, I mean, it became quite polished output. So we had to do animations, we had to do stories. And because at the end, like the, these projects with, with Space Ten and with IKEA, they, they have to be uh, kind of communicated to the many. So they really have this idea that it's always about the many. Yeah. So everything, the, the, the message is really important and how you simplify such, you know, complex topics into something that everyone can understand. Uh, and that was an interesting challenge because normally when you do this sort of like experimental, speculative, fictional project, projects, you know, you tend to be in a, you know, to, you tend to have an audience that kind of understand you. Right. Uh, it's a bit niche. And, and this one instead, it's like, how do you make such a, let's say, speculative vision really understandable from, you know, your grandpa and uh, you know someone that works in an IKEA shop. Yeah. So how do you do that? Because because the principles you describe, like I totally get. But then, yeah, how's grandpa gonna get it? Like, what do you mean genetic algorithm? What do you mean? Yeah, the, yeah, that's of a chair leg. Yeah, that's why we never use those words in the <laughs> communication. So it's always about, um, you know, for instance, we call updatables are furniture that evolves with you. Yeah. So it's really you know crafting the. It becomes a bit of an exercise of, you know, copywriting and ad, ad agency like where you need to find, you know, the keywords that resonate. And so we had a lot of actually, I would say it was a lot of work, but then it was also a lot of work to just craft the, the, the text around it. Like, how do you make this actually easy to understand, mm. uh, which, which normally I think, it, you know, Especially when you when you're looking to, you know, when you're working with a brand that has, you know, their main, uh, let's say, audience is everyone, then you know they're really into like, okay, but how is this meaningful? How is this understandable? Um, and before that, I never really cared that much about it uh, because it's okay, it's a cool, crazy idea. It's it, it's gonna trigger someone's mind, uh, but I don't have necessary to do all the work to bring everyone up to speed to understand. The, the the baseline behind the concepts in order to understand the concept while this one you really have to build you know like the the, the narrative to be uh, even and now we are doing another project with them which actually we are taking this approach where we go basically narrative first and product after yeah so yeah yeah um and so what what are the kinds of 
like the the approach to this kind of work what kind of principles or what kind of like what's your i guess the p word like what's your process is it on the scale of like actually i um i have no idea it's all intuition to yes we have proprietary five-step process I guess more than a process, we have a point of view. My P is more POV than process. Like, I think right now we have a... I mean, over the years, I've been developing a lot of projects that didn't make sense until I then saw them all together. And it's like, okay, like, I think I'm working around this idea of agency of products and how do you push that in in various ways, whether it's about products in the home or whether it's about, I don't know, co-creating with machines but but i think a lot of the things that i'm doing and it's we do now as a studio is really pushing this sort of um i mean we call it because the, the meaning of oil is actually the secret meaning is uh, the other intelligence's operation um, okay yeah so yeah. that's that's the, the secret code that's the secret code so that's our pov and <laughs> so i think when we look at projects we always try to see okay like what how you know if we look at this through the lens of like you know growing intelligence within products or if we look at this within agent growing agency you know what happens so so i think it's a bit of a mix of a very strong point of view about what we want to see in technology and in products and intuition and let's say uh design finesse yeah what's that last part design finesse what does that mean to you i to me it means that you know you i i think for one one thing that i try to to look into also like especially within the let's say the fiction speculative work it's also to, to do things that either work or they're kind of polished so mm -hmm. i like you know it, it needs to it, it needs to be designed well i mean it's, it needs to be real enough in that future so you know materiality labels details yeah, yeah yeah so you know it's really adding that finesse that okay. uh, level of attention to detail yeah. to something that it's like kind of you know doesn't exist or maybe will never exist yeah okay gotcha like when we're looking at the samsung frame the yeah. Instead of looking at the 8K display, we were like, wait a minute. But yeah, what about that uh, scene? Why, 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 yeah, exactly. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, you do all this concept, it's amazing. And it's like, oh, I'm going to have a frame in my house. And then you fuck up the frame. <laughs> but, the you know, frame, the it's like, part. The easiest <laughs> part. I mean, my, you, can, you could have just gone to a local framer. Yeah, who cared about doing <laughs> Who frames. cared about frames. Yeah. And, you know, I love your... Exactly, 8K moving, low resolution, NFT, higher resolution, whatever. But then, you know, the frame looks like shit. So yeah, frames are like, that stuff's been driving me nuts lately. I just, I can't, it, it, it takes me out of the world. Like, I was just noticing even at you know, the hotel we're staying at, the knobs for the shower are fucked up. No, like yeah. The that... lower knob is for the upper, upper shower head, and the upper knob is for the lower shower head. Yeah, and then the, I don't know if, yeah, the top, there is a three of them, which doesn't make sense. Doesn't because make sense. We have two showers. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, those things are really like what, yeah, I'm also getting, um, I get lost into, I don't know, for me, that's the thing. I, I guess the, the major part of what I enjoy doing is being annoyed about stuff. And by <laughs> being annoyed about stuff, I actually 
then have a lot of energy to 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 do projects or to you know to to be creative. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point because I, I I yeah maybe in the same way like I recognize I get annoyed at stuff, um, particularly when I see indications that when I can. It's almost like you're seeing the human hand in the work, but the hand is like a little bit drunk. It didn't, it didn't <laughs> care. It didn't think about something like in my car there. I think there, I think I counted like four or five different fonts used in oh, yeah. the displays, but then also the kind of, um, yeah, just all the, the signage just on the dashboard. And that but, makes me nuts. Yeah. And I, I don't know for me, because there is the, the super random, like, you know, there is this, word in, in 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 chinese that they use that it's called chabudo which is the represents all the stuff that is done badly but that in itself is done so badly that is actually cool so i mean i i have a, I have, a <laughs> I have a passion for you know when you see all these like you know light switch that are made you know for some reason you know offline out you know they're not in line they're a bit turned around there are four of them for no reason and i think that I appreciate because you know you see, you really see the hand yeah. you know as you say like you see the hand that did it and it was really drunk but it was so drunk that it was almost art yeah yeah okay I think the in between one is the one that the really gets one, me that yeah. you tried yeah and that's the problem yeah because if you if you didn't try it then you know it was yeah. okay I think I saw something was like um, that I noticed I don't know if it was like maybe a particular batch of uh, of of, of Teslas or something, but there was, and so, you know, like heavy hand, like they're, they're very purposeful. Yeah. Uh, and there was just something that the split line was off someplace. <laughs> um, and it was like on one of the door handles or something. I noticed it on one and I noticed it on another. And there was a little bit of a kind of, it was a thing of like, that's totally wrong, but there's also a thing, the, it became a little bit of a joke to, to notice that, like, what the fuck could have gone wrong? And was you know you start imagining these scenarios like production is so they're just like forget it just just uh, no just one will notice go It'll for it yeah. yeah yeah I I can imagine the 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 that the car designer got probably nuts and he probably you know suicide or something because <laughs> yeah. I I remember like my when I studied industrial design in Torino Torino is like car city for Italy right and so there were two two ways that you could go as a designer was either you're going to become a car designer or you're going to kind of try to get into, you know, furniture, Milano, like uh, design week style of things. And the people doing like car design, you know, you could see them, they were like, you know, putting these huge pieces of paper on the windows in the faculty, drawing these like perfect lines. And, and I was always like, yeah, it's completely, I don't know. I, I, I felt so out of that because yeah it's just lines and shapes and you know and you get it's so like shape porn yeah. driven and yeah surfaces yeah and and, and i was yeah i definitely don't also because i'm really bad at drawing so <laughs> i think that's uh and you could tell all the uh car designers it didn't work out and they end up doing toothbrushes at frog or something it's yeah like they're making toothbrushes that look like they look, you know, yeah. spaceships and yeah like you know porsche design that does you know uh other stuff yeah like yeah. exactly like you know pens and, yeah. and and sunglasses and, yeah. and and they're like yeah umbrellas and they all look like they have to go through the wind tunnel for some reason and <laughs> you know and if you were to use the toothbrush when you do skydiving that's great but you know that's a very small uh, yeah. subset of people yes yeah. yeah. so, so take me back to torino you studying industrial design uh yeah it was it was actually 
I don't know, like I, it's quite bad school, I have to say, like, and uh, uh, it was really abstract, which was interesting, but mm. uh, we were really bad at doing design. So it was really theoretical, like we studied philosophy of design, history of architecture. Um, we had this like crazy car designer dude that was teaching us drawing and we were doing like hands-free uh, kind of ink base uh, axonometries of exploded stuff and or things like taking sketches of seed mead and trying to redesign those objects and i was just like, okay and it was so abstract that at the end you know i didn't have any pro pro project in my portfolio after that and then i was it was there any studio component to it or was it no well one but it, was, it ended up being such a complicated project because, again, it was all about sustainability and circular system that we had to do like a, a packaging for packaging less supermarkets. So I was doing, I, I did six months to do a, a reusable package for frozen food, which is probably the, the less, the unsexiest type of product you can have. Um, but then I went to Sweden for a, I went to study one year in, in Sweden and and somehow the school there was not really design design and so I ended up doing interactive lighting courses and game design. What school was it? Uh, KTH. Like, um, yeah. It's like the Polytechnic School of Sweden and, and they didn't have really like an industrial design. It was either too technical or too artistic. So then I ended up doing these courses that were, like, like I said, like, interactive lighting then i learned blender to do um you know kind of game-like environments and so when i came back i did a thesis about um it was called growing lights that was about creating um installation in the city to 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 to, to get energy from people movement in order to create public lighting uh, and so it was all about uh, piezoelectric and and so I, I designed some sort of like reusing public phone booths to, to get people to scream and release energy, basically make energy from emotion and anger. Yeah. And um, yeah, and they didn't want me to graduate with that. They were like, what, what, Simone, you want to create energy from emotion? That's preposterous. This is a polytechnic <laughs> design school. And I was like, no, but it's possible. It is the calculation if you just read my thesis, but they never read it. So I almost didn't graduate. They, they basically kicked me out of the um, of, of the polytechnic. Yeah. Uh, but then I saw, okay, this is interesting. Like they didn't get it, so there might be something there. Uh, but yeah, all my thesis. So when you said so they didn't get it, there might be something there. Do you think that they actually they maybe they're right, or or that you're like maybe that's a that's affirmation? Well, I think it was a bit. I mean, I was very young at the time, so I wasn't cocky enough to think that I was completely right and they're completely idiots yeah. but i was uh, i was uh, maybe it was too much maybe i went too conceptual um but then it also in my in my masters in i went to delft which is also a quite technical school i also did a thesis that i had issues to graduate with uh there was this addicted products uh, so i made these toasters that they're connected and they talk to each other and and they get they basically get uh, peer pressure so it was like early stage IoT and I yeah. was working with uh, Usman Haq yeah, at the time. Course, yeah, sure. And so I was uh, playing around with uh, Pachuva. Pachuva, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. like first IoT, like we were talking about M2M before, no? Yeah. So so I got to the Usman studio and, and it's like, yeah, 
I mean, if you want to do a thesis with me, you know, think about something with connectivity. And so I was looking at all his, all his work and the work from um, like Gordon Pask and, you know, Usman and he was friend with Paul Pangaro. There is like, you know, ma major expert in cybernetics. And so I was reading all about this sort of ideas of um, conversational artifacts, uh, you know, the, the Pask, you know, the idea of having something that gets bored, you know, computationally. And so I got really excited. And, and so I basically I built objects that, um, yeah, because they're connected, they basically feel peer pressure about being used. So I created a whole sort of an algorithm to define the, the happiness from an object perspective. And, uh, and then, yeah, so it ended up being tossers and I did this, what I didn't know yet, it was a design fiction project <laughs> because someone else told me after, oh, you did a design fiction project. And, um, so I made this service that I ran for a month in London where basically I had people um, applying for the possibility of getting a toaster and then the toaster would come to them and it would actually have a Twitter feed and talk about itself, whether it was feeling okay. And if it was, if it was used enough, wasn't used enough, then every week I would take the one, the one that was used less and I would bring it to someone else. So, so literally you're sending toasters around. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was dressed as DHL. I had a friend that was helping me. So I had like, I brought, I basically ran it for a month and I brought it around. Like I moved them like six or seven times and I started getting people from all over the world wanting to apply for these toasters and people wanting me to pay, pay me to keep it. Yeah. And I'm like, and so what would, and so there's the toaster do how much it was being used presumably to make toast. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was just about, because for my, my idea, I mean, this, I mean, if I backtrack, it actually started from, I was really interested in um, addictions mm -hmm. and, uh, and my, my initial thesis was to, can I design an addiction? Like what is an addiction? You know, can I actually create a, what year is this about? This is 2011. Okay. And, uh, and then from there, I, I started, I got lost because I, I realized that a lot of things are addictive by, in, on purpose. Yeah. And that's kind of the secret underlining of all designers that we don't want to talk about. I mean, well, we want to make, make something that someone's going to use a lot. Yeah. We want to make engaging stuff. But, you know, the ultimate product is, you know, slot machines or, uh, you know, cigarettes. Yeah. You know, it's a great product. I mean, from an engagement perspective. And then, of course, there was all the, you know, near and I, the, the, the sort of initial thing about dark patterns in UX that right. came out. But right. that was Persuasive just computing. Yeah, that was a bit after. So and so then I, I switched and I said, OK, I cannot design an addiction for humans, but maybe I can design an addiction for objects. Yeah. And so I thought, OK, can I design an addiction that has a positive goal? So can an object be addicted to be used? So it kind of counteract this idea of us. I have an addiction to consumerism, so to consume. So then the, the addiction of the object to be used goes against the addiction of the human to throw, you know, have more. Right. So I got into that big loop and then it ended up being toasters, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so so walk me through that. So someone's using a toaster, it's it's uh it's it's connected on a network. So yeah. are you able to are you like monitoring your toasters? Yeah, yeah. I had um I I, I had all these feeds on Pachuba and I was kind of and then I created all these sub rules that you know, with weird APIs to, to tweet, 
or yeah. to I had also motors inside so I could actually communicate physically so the lever of the toaster would try to get attention by moving oh so you could do that from your control panel yeah but I also automated everything okay. so I had, I had a level of behavior based on the feeling so basically based on how do you feel compared to the network yeah. and to your past yeah then you have sort of like a level of I had like 12 levels of behavior yeah. and so then um what what's uh, take me through some of the like the the, the designs so what's what's going on inside the toaster what did you i had um did you first of all did you start with an existing toaster or did you make one yeah no i started with a, i bought an argos one like the, the typical white yeah uh, uh and and then i started to hack it and i i was really bad at electronics as well so i i I short-circuited a bunch of stuff. I actually, I remember I had, I had this Arduino Ethernet, which were like, the, you know, amazing. The one that could actually have built in, it had like yeah, an you RG45 could connect, or something, or was it Wi-Fi? No, it was an Ethernet. Yeah, so like an actual the, plug. Yeah, yeah. The, you had to plug it. And then I, I remember when those came out, it's just like, I was man, amazing. that's it, this is it's it. amazing. Yeah. Um, and it was one of, it was just coming out, and, and I remember I was testing them, and that day, uh, Massimo Banzi from Arduino was talking to Usman Dancer, to my mentor, and it was the first day that I was like, okay, I'm going to show him. And, and it, because inside I had my, many different ways to figure out how to figure out whether the toaster is used or not. Right. And then I clearly didn't, you know, like I wasn't working in big safety. So when I plugged everything in, the whole building went <laughs> black. My computer blew up. The, the the Arduino blew up and then Massimo came out and I'm like, hey, who are you? What do you do? Hey, I'm sorry, I'm Simone and I burned an Arduino. And that was my introduction to, to Massimo and the Arduino world. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, I was inside that a bunch of bad sensors and a lot of hot glue, but somehow they were working. Yeah. Um, I even had like a like a distance sensor to see whether people were close by or not. So I, I kind of built a very bare bone, you know, robot inside yeah. the toaster. Um, yeah, and it was crazy. It's crazy that it worked and it didn't get on fire in the places that, that I sent it to. Yeah. Uh, and so what, what's the, what's the, what's the, so what for the project? Like, so what are you, what, what, what are you trying to get to and what are you trying to, what was it that people were so excited about? I guess is maybe one way to look at that they wanted one of the toasters. I mean, I guess layer one is like, oh, I have a toaster in my house that is kind of alive and tweets. Yeah. Uh, a second layer, some people got it that the aim of this was to basically have a system that was an object that shared themselves based on their own point of view. So it was kind of idea of like flipping, like from buying power to keeping power. So, you know, if you, if you change your mind and say, oh, I need to keep this thing rather than I can buy more things. Um, and so then I tried also to talk to, I, talk, I tried to talk to a bunch of, uh, appliance company and it was a really interesting discussion because it's like, okay, this is exactly against our business model because we want more people to have our products. But right. if I have less products that run around, let's say in a neighborhood, you know, potentially you can have a system in which you only get the things that you actually use and the other things automatically redistribute. Yeah. Um, so for me, it ended up being about sustainability, but without wanting to, you know, right. kind of. Um, yeah, and I think that's, at the end, that's kind of what I like, that when you do these type of projects that are really starting in one place, and then you end up touching a, 
it's kind of sustainability as a byproduct. Mm. Because if you start thinking about how can I change people's behavior, you're never gonna get anything, probably. It's yeah. really hard to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And then what happened? How did the how did the project kind of wind down? Were the toasters still out there? No, they're not. On but the network? No, I mean I still have uh, one. Uh, some disappeared, uh, but it won. It won the best in show interaction sixteen. Mm -hmm. So I, I I beat Microsoft. I was very happy. Um, so it got really viral, and you know, I got a bunch of awards, and and then people somehow uh, thought that I'm doing you know design fiction, and, and I think like and I think in those days I actually saw your presentation at uh, in Rotterdam about design mm. fiction, uh, and then from there I realized oh, okay there is uh, there is something interesting about about doing kind of real products yeah. but they come from a, a slightly different parameter of reality yeah a little adjacent world or yeah, yeah or it's a kind of like i don't know I, I i like always to call it it's like real fictional products because they're like real enough that you can make them and they can be accepted from someone to have them in in their hands but they come you know they have a sort of fictional character in terms of like i don't know in this case the business model wouldn't exist but still you could use it and yeah. have a real reaction to that yeah. but it, the, the, yeah it's interesting but i mean i think for something like that like every layer of it there is something to be extrapolated to understand okay imagine that in this adjacent world there is this, this is the business model as as different as it is you know you say you go talk to the manufacturers today and they're kind of like doesn't curious project interesting but our business model is to sell as many of these things yeah. and to build them in such a way that they last 18 months maybe 24 months and then that's it yeah but there could be a world and it's it's a useful world to consider from the sustainability perspective to say we're gonna have toasters that actually move around as they're needed so you never throw it away <laughs> yeah and i i don't know for me that that was kind of my first attempt to i mean i, I and unknowingly creating a, set, a side world that then to have a discussion. And, and, and I think the other thing that I, I discovered is this sort of, you know, as you were saying, there are many levels, like a lot of people engaged because it was funny, but then it had a bit of a um, critical aftertaste of sorts. So it, you know, rather than being like, a, it's purely like, because at the time, you know, RCA was really big and the world of, you know, Dan and Rabbi, and uh, everything was really, everything about, for instance, speculative design was very in your face. Like, you know, it's about, I don't know, biotech or, and, and in some way I found this way of kind of getting to, to people through something that it's like accessible, maybe with irony. Mm. You know, a, a toaster that kind of moves and, and, and complains about you online, it's funny. But, and if you, some people stop there, but if you go a bit beyond, then you're like, oh, okay, I get it, what it's about. It's about making us understand about this other possible way in which things could work. So so a lot of the projects also I did after, with Automato, for instance, were always this kind of fine line between making something that it's at first, it might be ironic, but behind there is a lot of sort of point of view about how things could be different yeah. or... Yeah, I like to think that even at that first layer that you're describing, that it still sits and lives with someone. It's still they're going to come away. Maybe at the moment with the 
with the sense of the, the you know the the humor that's embedded in, in the irony, and at the same time they're gonna they're gonna they'll dream about it in a way they'll come I, back to it. I mean, the best thing I've done I don't know that came out randomly, but it was like when someone would would lose one of the toasters, for instance, I I would leave a, a little black plaque like a little tomb, kind of with the laser cut badly. A message which is like a toaster used to be there, yeah. so that they would be reminded of how shitty as a person you must be <laughs> to to not even be able to keep, keep a toaster toast happy. Yeah. You know? And so yeah, I, no, it was fun because I mean by making it that real, um, I don't know. I could realize that people were cheating, so they were just pressing, you know, ten times. Or I got like an email from a grandma in Italy that was like, oh, you know, I'm. I'm really lonely. Like, nah, nah, can I? My my nephew told me about this, and I would really like. I always dream about having a toaster that talks. Can okay. you send one to me? And I'm like, and and then I played the part. I was, I'm sorry, I cannot decide. The toasters decide. And, you know, I felt, <laughs> I felt horrible. But um, yeah, no. But I think that's that's what I like to with this type of project. It's like if you can bring it a bit in reality, if you can exist even for a day. Then you get real life reactions, yeah. which then you, from them you can learn a lot, and you can actually. I mean, that's what I really enjoy, rather than you know the, the more presentation video of the story. It's like all the backstories that you get from, releasing it in the wild. Yeah. yeah. And then you also worked on the. Um... So describe so describe to me OIO and what's its relationship to Automata? So um, so Automata was a project that kind of ended. Mm -hmm. Like we we had around six years of uh, experiments, and um, I started working with uh, Matteo Cherubini. Uh, we just somehow met random in Belgrade. Uh, and he was working, he was doing his work around ethical autonomous vehicles, kind of looking at ethics of self-driving cars. And this was like 2013, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we started working together and we started doing a couple of projects and we brought more people in to, to build this sort of, I would say, like, weird collective doing uh, products that are kind of fictional. Yeah. Uh, and so that that worked we did we did uh, around one or two projects per year and then we we managed to get into museums into exhibitions and it was really interesting process to see how how this type of work how we can you know live in, in culture so you know we are we are on blogs like a creative application and and it was really cool and uh, then we worked with Bruce Sterling to do a VR experience uh, about being a an, an object in a house so we had this it's called objective reality. So we basically made these big helmets that look like Roombas and plugs, and you, you put them on, and then you, you become an object in a house, and then you have actually Bruce Sterling's voice about being a Roomba. So he brought these pieces that, you know, I am a vacuum cleaner, I suck up dirt, and therefore I am, uh, which was in itself better than the project, be able to convince him to do that. And then up, after that, we we kind of got to the point of, figuring out what to do next and you know whether this would become a commercial studio or whether we want to keep doing uh, you know, things for museums and commissions and then I you know we, we, we sold for instance this VR piece to the to a museum in Vienna to the Museum of Applied Arts 
and I was really excited. But then I realized that it was really hard to, you know, it's not really a good business model for yourself to, you know, do one, two projects a year and kind of just pay the cost. And as I used to work before also, I, I used to work at Frog for many years. And so I had this kind of, you know, more approach to design where you can actually work with companies. Then I started working with uh, a friend of mine, uh, Matteo Loglio. Uh, and then we decided to do OYO to basically combine a bit this sort of like experimental approach and future thinking and creative technology, but then to work with, uh, with companies and also to do products of our own. Because um, I mean, that was kind of the thing I wanted to do with the Automato project is like, okay, we have this thing that is in the museum, but can this be then a product? Or can this be even like a small version of that that someone can buy? Uh, I don't know if you know, like Mai Wadenki. Yeah, I love Mai. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. when I saw their stuff, I'm like, okay, you have the exhibition piece, you have this, you know, the crazy instrument, instrument but yeah. then you have the version that it becomes like a as toy. A, as a, yeah, as a, as a toy. Yeah. And, and from there, I was thinking, okay, so there is a space for this sort of experimental products. I mean, I felt the same way when I first got exposed to his work. It just, it's genius. Just like, that's it. That's that's what, that's, that's what you should do. Yeah. And so now, yeah, we started the uh, OYO now two, two and a half years ago, uh, and uh, yeah, it's really interesting because uh, you know now we have a platform to have you know more designers working with us, technologists, uh, uh, you know, young designers from university are really excited about what we do. Um, I have to say, I have a bit of a I had a huge Berg crush when I was a student. <laughs> uh, you know, when I speak to Matteo about Berg, it's like, man, you're like really like a fanboy. It's, yeah. like, it's like the yeah, Backstreet Boys. Yeah, a little but, bit. Wipe your chin. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my God, there was, you know, there was Timo and Matt, yeah. you know, I know all the names. And because, you know, for me, they were, they really defined what I think a design studio should be. Yeah. You know, like uh, experimental, but within the realm of you know kind of companies which i think it's where you can do stuff that it's interesting for me and uh, but with a really strong you know culture knowledge uh you know playfulness uh, and i thought okay we need we need something like that for this decade yeah. and i mean for them it was about connectivity and i think for us now it's about whatever ai is but so i think what we're trying to do with Oya is like say okay can there be a a way to do experimental work where you can actually survive with it and not only survive but have you know a few yeah. like a small team of really cool people that you want to work with yeah. um, and so far it's good and so and by survive you mean you mean uh, it's sort of like make bills, money yeah make money, yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah I mean I mean survive well you know like uh, I think I think you can you I mean it's all about expectation but yeah. still like um, uh, I, I mean, my idea is also to, to make something like a platform, like, you know, a space, a box where then other, you know, younger talent can come in and be super excited about, uh, you know, working. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, that for me was also like when I started working, I had a bit of the, you know, the, the, the dream crush of like, oh, yeah, you know, we're doing all these things, but, you know, start to do some wireframes. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. Uh, so I, 
I don't know, for me, that's, that's my, I mean, my ultimate goal with this is also that uh, other people can enjoy sure. doing this type of work. Yeah, yeah. Have you, are there any secrets to like finding that way of surviving? Because there's certainly, there's studios, right? That, that do work and they thrive and... I, I, for me, at the end, right now, it's just about size and willingness to not to scale. Uh, because, I mean, if you keep relatively small, then you can actually do, you can do, you can be, I mean, we're, I'm not, we're not selective at all, actually, but, but at the same time, if you're not huge, if you don't want to become a huge team, then, you know, you can, you can do good money and, and still do good work. And the other one is to have a very clear point of view. Like right now, maybe we've been lucky at first, but or maybe, you know, because some people knew me or Matteo, then the type of work we do is always like kind of in line with what we would like to do. Uh, we, we never had to do projects that are like really boring in a way. And, and in order to keep that going, you know, you cannot grow to like be 40 people. Uh, so I also, the, I think also the, the type of talent or other people that work with you should also have this I know, I, I really believe in hybrid teams or hybrid people more than hybrid teams so where you can do a bunch of stuff. Uh, and I think all of us have this sort of a mixed backgrounds and mixed capabilities that where it's like, okay, I can code a bit, but I'm also really good at, you know, graphic design. And yes, I can do concept. Yeah. Uh, and I think that for me, it's the base, the good base for a, a team, like having three or four people that can do a lot. And then we work a lot with the specialists for uh, stuff that is maybe too complicated to do ourselves. Yeah. Where is that dividing line between the generalist and the specialist? At the end, it gets to whether, I mean, it's a mix of what is the outcome that the client wants. Mm. Because if it needs to be really solid, definitely find a specialist. Find a specialist. And then the other one is for. I don't know, particular things like animation, uh, Unity, uh, I don't know, machine vision. Like for certain projects, you need to have a... I mean, you, you can make stuff work and you can make stuff look good, but I think at a certain point to make the next step to make it really good, yeah. then you need a specialist. Yeah. yeah. What, do you, what, do you, what kind of um, work do you find yourself responding to? Like in... Uh... Uh, I guess the more commercial stuff. But I, I, I like, a, I have to say, I like every, a lot of things, almost everything. Uh, I really like extremely undefined, complex scenarios or contexts. Uh, I also like dead objects. Actually, I mean, one of the craziest, I, I was really angry at first when I was still working in Frog and I, they gave me to completely redesigned their um, office phone for uh, for, uh, for for Siemens for you know and at the time we were working on some sort of skype like thing where everything would be connected and everyone was working on the flashy interfaces and they gave me to basically think in this everything connected and communication everything everything connected going through uh, what is the office phone and at first I was like Oh, that's that's a shit project <laughs> but then it was cool because it's like you have this really dead medium 
and you have to think about you know you have limitations okay we only have this size of screen and so you have to to make something that looks cool on an iphone now you have to port it to a 15 by 85 uh, lcd screen and how does it so i i like things that are complicated uh undefined uh and where you need to think about a lot and especially i think one thing that we do a lot is uh which i like uh is hey we have this thing we have this technology but what can we do with it um, yeah which is uh no because we work with a lot of companies that maybe have you know r d teams and and you know they develop all these things and papers and with and, no idea what it's going to be used for. It's just faster than it was before. Yeah, or it doesn't need different. Yeah, or you know, now you can do this. Uh, we did one project where it was like, hey, we we can turn sketches into three D and 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 make them animatable. And I was okay, and and they had this. Um, it's amazing what it is, but they had no idea what to do with it. So. So that I like a lot when it's like, we always say we're, we're, we're your best friends when you don't know what to do with something. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, that really excites me. Yeah. What's been your favorite project over the last, let's say, couple of years? Uh, well, I mean, the, I guess the, 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 uh, I have to say, at the start was the, the Museum of the Future. Mm -hmm. At uh, the beginning of the Museum of the Future. The beginning of the Museum of the Future. Uh, I mean, that was like a dream to be able to... Because basically, the Museum of the Future in Dubai is the... I guess the first museum of its kind where you, you have immersive future scenarios that you can get inside and you can actually experience and touch artifacts from the future, talk to people from the future. So. For me, that was almost like a, when I got into that, I'm like, okay, I, I, I touched the, the, the peak of, this, of what you can do today with design fiction. Uh, and so that was insane. And also working with you guys, working with, you know, people from NASA JPL, working with, you know, like all the studios that I always look up to. Um, that was definitely one of my favorite experiences. And, um, then making it really was probably one of the least favorite experience in some way, but, but that's just because museums are a crazy world, uh, just production and making things work. Um, it's still amazing that you can, it worked, uh, but just, you know, the idea of creating a world for 2070, creating all the characters, uh, the people living in space in 2070, the, the artifacts, the, you know, when we did also the, creating a history of design from 2020 to 2070 to figure out, you know, how would object look like yeah. in a 50 year time span. So that was really amazing. And, and I think I, but, but probably I won't do museums for a while. <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's intense also because it takes way longer when you work with the, when you work with industry, you know, maybe, you know, six months, one year, that's a very long project. This was like four years yeah. uh, because, you know, you have the real world of, a, you know, you have a building to be ready to have the things that you design inside to be put in. And then you have to produce them. Then there is interactive. So there is a lot of moving parts. And sure. um, 
but yeah, just the, 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 the conceptual bit, I think was insane, amazing. Um, and yeah, and that's, I mean, but, but that's why like, I, I think at a certain point, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing whether uh, at, at some point I, I would love to work with cinema just because mm. why not? Um, and, and see whether what is the role of uh, people like us in that industry. Yeah, what does that mean? Work with cinema? Do you mean like what, what do you what do you see that being? But I mean, I guess it's a bit naive because I don't know how cinema. I mean, I, I've seen how uh, you know how a set works, and I, I know more or less. But I don't I don't know how really the the process of, for instance world building works in the cinema industry and i mean i know there is a ton of people that do that job so but but some some years ago i i also basically i mean i wrote a, a short book of stories of, of fables more as a way to say the name of the book uh, it's everything is someone mm -hmm. and i wrote it with a friend uh, joshua noble uh and basically as a way to not to do um, a design fiction project <laughs> So the thing was like, you know, we always do these prototypes and videos and I was like, okay, I have all these ideas, but I really don't want to build all of these. So maybe, so we started writing the stories and then it became a book. And then from there I was like, okay, for sure I'm not a writer. Uh, and also I was talking to, to, to Bruce Sterling that read it and he's like, yeah, it's, it's like a project of yours in the form of a book but it could also have been a t-shirt. And I'm like, yeah, thank you, Bruce. <laughs> it's, like, it's really comforting. Uh, but I got what he meant, you know, at the end, it's like, you know, writing for stories is one thing. So, but, but I think there is something about using the medium of, you know, whether it's animation or cinema or, you know, movies or whatever to, to be able to, to tell those stories. Uh, and, and, and I think that's always what I found a bit complicated with doing artifacts is that it's really hard to get people to experience them unless they can use them and so then when you see like a fictional object in a museum it, for me it was really sad when i saw people seeing our work and barely understanding it because okay they, for instance you know okay they look like plugs or fans or roombas but you cannot use them and also it's really hard to get into that world so that's where i see that type of thinking and that type of, um, you know, way of designing artifacts that could, it's definitely something that they do in cinema already with yeah. all the props and uh, so, I don't know, I would just be interested in seeing what what does it mean to work in that world uh, just to try, why not? Yeah. No, I think there's something fascinating about it, definitely a lot that at least myself I've learned from you know, like an arm's length away, understand, kind of getting a sense of what goes on and you hear different stories and listening to production designers talk about their work on, on films. And um, also I think like appreciating how much world building goes into like, you know, the, the I guess the richer cinematic, when you look at everything, it's like for, for many films, it's like there's a, there's a reason why something is there. Someone made a decision to put something there, even if it wasn't like, top level, even if it wasn't a director's call, but it's like some production designer was like, put a phone yeah. book there. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know, because I was fast, I think I was, when I was uh, 13, I went to my, my aunt was working with, uh, was a costume designer for, uh, 
working with Scorsese and mm. uh, and I went to see the the set of The Departed. Okay. And it was in this huge uh, kind of dome in Brooklyn where they had all the interior scenes of the movie were shot there. So there was a hospital, there was Matt Damon's uh, flat, there right. was the, 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 this, the part where Leonardo DiCaprio is together with a mob-like scenario playing. And, and then I was looking around it. Every, you know, you have this outside that is, you know, kind of wooden panels kept up with, uh, you know, horizontal, with diagonal poles. And then inside, it's like perfect reality. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the lamp the phone book, oh, the, yeah. the choice of the, 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 you know, the painting or the photograph. And I mean, even in like a non, let's say, sci-fi or fictional scenario, even that is hard. And then, I mean, of course, if you would work on something that is about making a future realistic, that, that's crazy. Like, I mean, I saw, I went to visit a couple of, um, actually, some people I know that in Belgrade are working to do props for uh, cinema. And the level of attention to detail of you know the artists making like i don't know a helmet yeah. you know making it a bit old using the right paint uh, the the rust the the leather i mean i don't think i would be good at that at the end so <laughs> yeah. but i mean you know I, I think having even having that attention to detail not just about the actual creation of a prop but even the yeah the direction that yeah. Be in there or like uh, you know the story bible this is the world yeah. yeah. I don't know. That, that when I'm older, <laughs> when I grow up. Yeah. There's also, I mean, there's just something about, I think, cinema production, film production, that is that's super fascinating. Just the, the bringing together a bunch of people to actually be creative, to make something, to make a thing. I think that's absolutely fascinating. You know, you can, you just, just the, the, the kind of like, exuberance that goes into someone like we're all here to make something yeah spend the next whatever two weeks four weeks six weeks i there's just something that i find like so but but i'm i yeah i remember i, I made a a short for uh it's super rough but uh but that's why for some reason when i when like google indexed me as a film director i don't know why uh, but I made this short when I was still in, in China called The Teacher of Algorithms. Yeah, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that was this old story. And it was super rough because it was... But, but again, I, as it was the first time I, I, I was working with other people to do a mini... I mean, I don't want to say movie, but a mini moving image yeah. artifact. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, we had to have one guy with sound, one guy doing the, uh, the, the, the actual camera. Then we had to make props. Uh, we have to have an actor and an actor was my friend. And, and, and it was just insane. And uh, it was really low quality, but, but then I, I actually managed to some, somehow the, I got into the robot film festival and it got the most uncanny awards <laughs> and I was okay. So probably that's why uh, uh, Google is, that's why I'm a film director right. because I- Got an award for a film you made. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but, and, uh, it's crazy because I mean, I, I, I'm so far from being <laughs> good, even good at, at, at keeping and making pictures. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's why I tested, for me, it's like, I'm always trying to find what's the next, uh, platform or medium to, to to kind of explore what we can how to talk and how to experience the mm. futures right yeah yeah yeah. and i tried everything in a way i mean i didn't try everything but i tried a bunch of things just because like making making products 
Yeah, making products, making shorts, writing stories, making Museum exhibits. VR, yeah. uh, some mini games. Uh, so I'm just trying, you know, what is the next? What's the next platform? And I always like when, when I, for instance, like sometimes I, I, I teach or I work with students and, and I'm always asked because everyone wants to be a speculative designer now. And they're like, how can I be a speculative designer? And I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm, I, I'm not, so. If you figure it out, let me if know. If you figure it out, <laughs> let me know. But I'm always like, I'm curious, like, I'm always, okay, but do not do, not do the props, like, you know, like I did, or like, like you guys did, or, you know, the, the 99 cent future sort of thing, you know, it was done, it was cool, yeah, but, yeah. And, and I think now a lot of people are using that as, almost as a framework of what you should do. To, to be considered to make the 99 cent future or for some other existing archetype or? yeah like that that sort of thing but you know if you're 22 and coming out of university i'm like you should come up with the next you yeah. know what is it is yeah. it a, is it about you know are you doing the whole fiction inside the minecraft or roblox yeah. or are you you know i i would like to see the next right no i get, I get what you know saying. what i mean yeah. like the, part of me is like okay so you know maybe as a yeah, because it's more of a mindset than it is. Here are the steps. Make the 99 cent version of the future. Part of me also wants to be able to say that you can, you can do that. You can start. You can do it as a way of almost like an exercise. Yeah. Like okay, so you're gonna, you want to become like a master uh, um, woodworker. Okay, start with a chair. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. got to start with a chair. No, you're like right. A, yeah, that's true. Um, but then, then find your, find your, find your style and find the thing that evolves from the things you already know. Um, or, you know, if you have a strong instinct, I guess, you know, you just kind of go for that new that new platform and see what happens. But but I agree because I, I, I also spoke, I was speaking with like Fabian and and, and, I, and I realized like at the end, it's, it's really kind of a mindset yeah. more than, a, I mean, it is a, it can be a process in a way, but for me, it's more of a mindset. It's just like that thing, like what we were saying before, it's kind of being annoyed and ask a lot of questions, uh, and that's like the the major skill that you have. It's a painful one because you're always like, "Oh, how is that robot gonna fuck up?" And then, there is that part of it which is really which is really hard to communicate. Like, yeah, noticing the things that can go wrong and almost using that as a way to I don't know, like imagine harder about like a like a. More, I don't know. Different I, I mean, in a separate life, we would be really good QA engineers or insurance makers. <laughs> I think that that that's the uh, <laughs> like if I'm reborn and I don't know about design, I'm probably gonna be a great insurer. <laughs> Have you thought about when you, you when you would fall in that situation? You know, like right. yeah, you scald yourself for turning that knob the wrong way. <laughs> so yeah, um, but it's great. It's it's. I don't know. I'm still amazed that 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 I can do this and and you know and, and do it and and actually it's a job. Mm. It's great. Yeah. yeah. What is it that people feel when they get what you do, and what is it when people don't get it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think. Yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> because like mostly like. I mean, people get, everyone gets it in a way, but I don't know if everyone gets that, if it has a value. Mm. Uh, so, so at the end, 
you know, I, I'm, I don't, I actually don't care that much. <laughs> but do you, do you feel like, so you need to be able to find a way to represent the value so that you can um, survive? Yeah. Because otherwise it's just, you know, Space but, 10 calling up all the time. Yeah, but, but I, I always think at the end for me, the, what, what talks is the projects. Yeah. Like rather than me describing what I do, it's like, okay, here's what I did. Yeah, and then if you find it interesting, let's, then let's or talk you, some more. Let's talk some more because yeah. because I, I I mean that's a bit of also the what I learned, you know, working in like design consulting or got, working in a studio that does design of sorts. You really have to define what you do uh, in order to to sell, because I, a lot of the projects you do are not really public, or right. so you know words are almost more important than projects. Uh, but I kind of was lucky enough to do projects that are a bit public or use projects that are maybe self-initiated to also drive a vision of what what I could do or what we could do. Yeah. So so at the end like okay this is what I did and then you know then you can make your own mind about what I do. You know like yeah. uh, I think that's the best so for me that's to, the you find the way so the, the 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 value proposition is already in the work and if people can do you, yeah. do you ever have to like translate it to say, tell, yeah, tell someone say like, hey, okay, so yeah, yeah beautiful stuff, but how do I? No, absolutely. Like when you, then you have to find, I think the more you go, I mean, when you pass from being, a, let's say, art, artsy-like, student-like project uh, person to when you want to make a studio, then you have to have like, okay, value proposition, you know, what are these things actually bringing to us? Yeah. So then you can talk about, um, you know, kind of accelerating decision making or exploring things that otherwise you couldn't explore in the same amount of time. So it's about speed or it's about tangibility of what you do, or it's about making something that can be public to create, you know, especially when you can think about new technologies. Like when we do projects, uh, for instance, we do a bunch of projects with Google that when in the public because they the, their aim was to say okay we have this bit of technology you are doing something to inspire other people to use this technology so that's a very easy value proposition is like you guys are good at exploring different ways of using stuff yeah and so then it can help us you know drive you know developers or people to you know understand this technology um when it comes to like other companies then it's it maybe gets more in the process so how can this help our organization to imagine a different path for this product? Or how can you help us, you know, make a decision of something that is really now intangible? So then we make something that, you know, you can try and you can right. see. And so you all, I mean, at the end of the day, like the reality is that it's, you always have to define, but I don't want to define the start. Like, I don't want to say we are X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's more about, you know, I think that's why I like the other intelligence operation because it has a bit of a mission inside. Yeah. Uh, and so then if you like the mission, then probably you like our right. product. Right, come along for the ride. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. We good? Yeah, we're good. All right, that was fun. Yeah, very nice. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, and uh, very nice setup that people cannot see, but you know, there are ducks and boats right. and hobbits. Uh, it's a great place to talk about 
you know, the future. Yeah, from the Shire. <laughs> from the Shire. <laughs> cool. cool, thanks, man. Okay, that was Simone Robertingo from OIO. Be sure to check out his work. Links are in the show notes. Please don't forget to rate, write a review, and share this podcast and support us over on patreon.com slash nearfuturelaboratory. That's it. Thanks for listening. Seriously, thank you. I'm Julian, and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>